Hello and welcome to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Now in this episode, you're getting two for the price of one. I'm talking with a couple from Slovenia, Peter and Rebecca, about their experiences of settling in Tasmania and some of the adjustments they've had to make. Both come with some quite specialised skills. Peter is a jeweller and Rebecca is an opera singer and trained flautist. And although there are many things that are familiar for Slovenians here, the environment around, the four seasons, and the cultural gaps are not so massive, but there have nevertheless been some quite significant cultural differences to adjust to, and I hope this episode will give folks a bit of an insight into some aspects of Slovenian culture that are different from our own. Tasmania also has quite a long history of receiving migrants from the former Yugoslavia, especially during the phase of mass hydro-industrialization. And in this episode, we do touch a bit on why many Slovenians, including members of Peter's family, fled the country for new lives abroad. Initially, it all started with me falling in love with Australia in general, because I have relatives in Sydney and I went on a visit once, two times, and then kept coming, fell in love with the energy of the people, the nature. Then later on I decided to maybe to change my environment. So I, when I met Rebecca, I told her that I will once move to Down Under, to Australia. And she said, yeah, absolutely, I'd like to do it with you. Then when uh, it all started, so we started to look where to go, I said that maybe uh, Sydney or Melbourne wouldn't be the places to go to live because it's overcrowded. We come from a small town where only 5,000 people lives. And Tasmania was one, uh, the first one on the list because the nature here and the hills are very similar to our home Slovenia. So it was quite an obvious choice. And later on, I started to look for jobs here and I found the perfect place, came on a bench testing, fell in love, beautiful. So it was an obvious choice for us. What about you, Rebecca? What, what persuaded you, or how did Peter persuade you that it was the right place to come? I always had this wish to move, to do change in my life, to experience some new cultures. And I also performed here before in Hobart. So I was lucky enough to have a concert in the government house just three months before we moved. So I really liked it. I like the nature. It was really green. It's something I can relate to. I like nature. And if nature is calling me, <laughs> then it's easier for me to move. Because <laughs> you, you first came to Australia way, be way before. What first brought you to Australia? What was the attraction? I found out that I have relatives in Sydney. In, in Yugoslavia, there were times when our families started to flee country yeah. um, because of mandatory uh, military service, and it wasn't great. So they just fled country and they fled to different parts of the world. My family is actually all around the world, from Chile to North America, Canada, New Zealand, Australia. And I've heard, wow, Sydney, okay, that really sounds inviting. And I decided to come here. I never met my uncle before here that lives here in Sydney. I met him at the airport for the first time. Amazing bloke, really nice person. 
and we connected and his wife, we connected straight away. And I just, yeah, kept coming because I really loved it here. I remember the moment when my uncle at the pub ordered himself a beer and he had a chat with the bartender as they know each other for a very long time. And I said, is that your friend? No, why? So that was really interesting, uh, interesting for me. And like I said before, um, the energy of the people here was really inviting for me, really good, positive. That what invited me to come more and more and more. And I've, uh, before we moved here, I was here seven times. Oh, right. So, yeah. so you were very familiar yeah. with it. But had you been to Australia before? I've been here only once, four. Mm -hmm. No, twice. 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 Once performing with the, a German embassy mm -hmm. around around the whole Australia, and one once as a tourist. But I think it's uh, you need to move for a longer time to really. It's a different. It's a very different experience if you're a tourist or somebody yeah. who moves for a longer time. I would say no. Yeah. We didn't, until now, we didn't experience other places also in Australia, so uh, maybe this, this, we should try that one day. <laughs> kind of environment was it when you were young? Yeah, it was really safe and we had many kids from the neighborhood uh, that we played with and everyone was either on a bike, having a ball in their hands or doing some other sports. Uh, we are very close to the lake, biggest lake in Slovenia as well. The one is uh, where I come from is quite well known because it vanishes uh, into the underground cave system. Yeah. So twice a year it fills up and just drains out. Like it's when there's no water, there's like a mass um, surface, lots of caves, lots of rocks. But when there's heaps of water, that's the biggest lake. In so there was a lot of swimming and um, other activities around the lake, canoeing. So we've been doing all that as a kids, like everything possible. Yes, we're the same. So my family also lived in Germany for 10 years. They moved after, not right after the war, but later on, because for some people it was quite hard to live in Yugoslavia, but that's a more political story. Uh, so, yeah, but we were a youth of Yugoslavia, so we were, it was a good childhood. Yeah, mm -hmm. very safe. Everybody playing on the streets. Uh, mothers going to neighbor neighbors' houses to have coffees. Everybody was really connected. While here, I really wish my kids would have that. Here, I need to organize a play day that would happen in one week. Mm. So my kids don't have a lot of uh, connections with others. I must mm. say, I wish this would be like this street would be full of kids after school, but it's yeah. not. Probably also all the devices these days yeah, yeah, yeah. are bringing this to our society. So not, not a lot of connect, connecting with each other. How many children have you got? We have three. Okay. Yeah, Twins and a girl. So what was it like for them to move country? Hard to say, but uh, the way we approached that was uh, we tried to 
convince them and introduce Australia as a really cool country. Cool country, exactly. <laughs> yes. That's a nice word for it. And they've been accepting our enthusiasm of going and moving. And they started to enjoy the uh, when we've been talking about Australia. And actually, we've taken uh, the oldest daughter once on the trip to Australia. And she fell in love with it as, as well as we did. And then it was a quite normal, normal step. Yeah, easy step for them. Later on, when we got here, they started to miss the family back home and friends, of course. But it was through how we saw Australia. Uh, how we introduced it to them and they actually really loved first month of coming here then the missing of the family came yeah i guess that's quite a common process that the first month is sort of the month of excitement of a new place but i must also say that we're putting a lot of work quite hard work to keep in contact with our family Mm -hmm. So we, we would talk on cameras all the time. They would send us packages of goods from Slovenia all the time. So we're very connected to them. We didn't, yeah, we didn't just move and erase. He, it really helped the way Aussies are open to other nations, how they accept them. And yeah, it helped our kids to be in touch with everyone back home. But also one thing, we were quite scared of how they will go to school because they didn't speak English well, or maybe none at all. So when the first day when we got to school, their classes, they welcomed them in Slovenian oh, greeting. Yeah. And that was for them, all right, mom and dad, you can go, I feel welcome here. And it, it's just the way Aussies approach things like they, they're really open to it and actually the whole class waited for them outside of school which was amazing even for us it was a huge relief when that happened so yeah we love that moment it's going to stay with us for mm. quite a while yeah I was going to ask you what um, some of the um, most challenging things were to adapt to when you first came here well this kind of environment or society is quite close to us it's not it's not very foreign, it's not like moving to Africa. But then some things are really new, so like a Centrelink or paperwork was terrible for us because we didn't understand what is going on we, and we didn't have any, anybody to ask. So I think that was the, the hardest thing. Also for me and my profession, it's quite hard to find a job yeah. because I was quite, I was a known, known musician back home. I did have a lot of concerts and a lot of connections. And when you come in, in a place like this, it's quite hard if you don't know anybody. So that was for me the hardest thing, finding my ways as a musician. Also, first few days were hectic for us because getting the document sorted, getting the phone number, getting everything, getting the place to live, it was really intense because you needed at least some form of paper document that you would actually be able to apply for anything but uh, we couldn't get our bank account open because we didn't have any official Australian documents. We couldn't get our phone number. We couldn't get our driver's license because of all that. And it was a bit hectic, but when it all started to evolve, it was easier. And over the time, we started to understand things, what they're asking us to do. And like every start where you go, it's a bit 
hard, but then it just runs like smoother. And um, Peter, what, what did you have work before you came here, or did you find while here? So I applied online. I was looking for jobs on Seek uh, and other platforms. Then the business owner, Chris, where I work now, contacted me and we agreed to do a bench trial. Also, another two people contacted me that they like to have me on bench trials. Uh, so I did two here in Hobart, one in Melbourne, and there was a week before when Rebecca had a concert here in Government House and I basically agreed to come and work at Metallurgis, then flew back home to sort the papers out, visa and everything, and then came back. So basically, yes, I had work place in a jewellery shop waiting for me. We would probably never move without a job. Yeah. I don't think we would do that with kids, just moving somewhere without a job. That yeah, that would be uh, hard for us. Maybe harder step to make. I don't think I'd be prepared to leave home without a job waiting for me here. As a kid, it's really hard to decide what you're going to do as when you grow up back home. Because, of course, you have lots of opportunities. And actually, my father and my mother, they've been looking at me very closely what I like to do over my childhood. And they said, look, there's two things that you really like to do. One's drawing and the other one is making something really tiny. So there's an option either would you like to be an architect because you like technical drawings and things like that. Maybe that would be associated with that. You can find yourself there. Or there's another option maybe jeweler because um, there is a school there and there was a famous world famous factory um, jewelry manufacturers called Zlatarna Celia so jewelers of Celia which is a town in Slovenia and I went to both of uh, these schools to see what they're offering and I felt like kind of called into that jewelry world which I knew nothing about except gold is shining. That, that's all that was. Then it just started to, in year two of my high school, when I was introduced to making really tiny things and I loved it straight away. Getting to know how to work with different metals and uh, gemstones. It is a long road to get where I am uh, at the moment. It's constant learning, technologies, they evolve, they are new, so you have to learn about those as well. But I just love that in a way that I can really make tiny things and I still enjoy doing that. It's like playing for me sometimes because you're assembling tiny little things, putting tiny little gemstones into these beautiful uh, golden rings. So I, I really, it, it became a big part of my life. I can also enjoy this work, which is a really big thing for me. I have to enjoy what I do. Otherwise, there's no point in doing that. Yeah, then it just becomes a chore, doesn't it? It's just something, yeah. something you, you have to do for money. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. So how, how long have you been doing jewelry now? 20 plus years, have to calculate. So yeah, that's 25 years actually. From, from my 18th to, to now, 25 years. It's quite a long journey yeah. Yeah, already. How long do you, is your sort of training for that? Or, or do you do an apprenticeship or something like that? So I had to, uh, the sky, uh, high school offered me that I can either work in the high school workshop as a jeweler or I can find a jeweler where I can learn from them. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to find a workshop where uh, the jeweler that had many different options or ways to learn jewelry. One was, so one colleague was, uh, was a gem setter, one was engraver, and two other ones were just manufacturers of uh, new designs. So I had many aspects to see how it's done. They all were very nice to me. They showed me many things. But in Julia world is also that they won't show you everything. So you have to learn how to do things yourself. You have to think for yourself. And uh, one uh, also said, look, in this world, you can only steal with your eyes and make sure you steal a lot. You might not be told everything, so you make sure that you look and learn. It's a really interesting process. That's the way you start to think in a way that you can invent new tools that will work for you, or you can invent, just adjust your workplace that will work for you different. So it was a long process, it still is. I was going to ask you about your profession a bit more. Did you uh, have much organised in that regard before you came or was, or did you have to start totally afresh? Well, I did meet one pianist, Jennifer Martin-Smith, while touring Australia before. And she was very kind to offer me her hand and be my friend. Uh, so she was the only one I knew here. Uh, otherwise, you need to start from... Even I opened my own st uh, music studio and just um, finding students and with my foreign last name is it's quite it's quite challenging in yeah. a because even nobody nobody uh, knows how to pronounce that you know yeah. both of my last names which are quite complicated and also as an opera singer you don't have a lot of stages here it's yeah. not uh, it's not like Europe. It's very different. And then singing in German or singing in any kind of other language, not, not English, it's hard to find an audience, I would say, for that. So I'm also involved in a folk band, mm -hmm. which I love working with. And uh, we have a good project where we are, now we're recording our own CD with uh, Slovenian folk songs, Tasmanian folk songs, and, and some original songs. Mm -hmm. And we are translating them all in both languages. So it's like bringing my culture closer to, to people here, that they understand me better somehow. Mm -hmm. So I really, I really love doing that. So how did, how did you get involved in that project? Uh, it was a funny thing. I met uh, Fred Prybuck. Yeah, so there are some things that are meant to be in our lives. <laughs> and Fred was one of them. <laughs> so we met him on Belle Reve Beach. And our, uh, it was uh, getting dark. It was one of the first days. Here. It was definitely first month. Yeah, and our kids were just running around our car and talking in Slovenian, screaming something. And I said, Psh, can you please be 
more quiet because it's, it really looks like there are some strange kids yelling in a strange language. Fighting. <laughs> Fighting. <laughs> yeah. And he came to us and he said, sorry, what kind of language are, are you speaking? Is that Russian? And we said, no, it's Slovenian. And then he said in perfect Slovenian language, hi, I'm Fred. <laughs> because his parents are both Slovenian. Yeah, yeah. And he's don't. fluent in Slovenian language. And yeah, I was lucky enough that he's also a musician. So that's how everything started. Yeah, so Slovenia has a, this, this unique system that it's somehow left from former Yugoslavia where everybody was... Uh, so we have this state music schools in every town. So each town would have a music school where us as professionals, so that would be teacher, a teacher, music teacher who would finish music academy, we would teach kids instruments. So each kid would get two half hours a week of an instrument and then one hour of music theory in an orchestra for a very low price because the mm. state would pay that. So this is still going on in Slovenia. So yeah. it's very, so every town, like a 5,000 people town would have a brass band orchestra and, and, a, and a string orchestra on a very top level. So uh, a lot of people would play. So I was the same. So I would learn piano, flute, and then opera singing would start in, this, in these schools. So education on a top level for a low price, yeah. which I think again here, uh, kids are a bit deprived of that because mm. private lessons are not for everybody. Not everybody can afford that. And I would also say that, uh, like music, music in school in a in a pri in a public school in a primary school, is also more. Maybe Australians would say more rigid and strict, mm -hmm. but in Europe it's really more precise. So they would learn about all the composers. Mm -hmm. They would learn how to listen to music, play instruments, also in, in, in a normal school. And that would make more people be interested in classical music or any kind of music. The main institutions for all the musicians are these music schools I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So basically everybody would get a job there with a good salary and all, it, it's a normal school. So also the holidays are the same as a school would have. You have paid summer holidays and everything. It's like being a normal teacher. So that's a good job to have. And then you're performing around as much as you can. It's the same as here, but maybe more stages, more opportunities, I would say. More ears that will listen to you. <laughs> and what was, what was your musical education actually? So I finished two music academies for flute, opera singing and piano. Uh, I studied in Zagreb, Croatia, yeah. in Ljubljana and a bit of in Salzburg, Austria. I have a sister who's also a classical musician and a jazz musician, a very good one. So we were going to this music school together all the time, walking there, walking back. <laughs> And she, we were just playing around with, with, with instruments uh, at home. And one day she tasked me, how high can I sing? <laughs> and she was going really, really higher, higher, higher with the notes. And I was really, really, I could really sing very high as a kid. <laughs> and this was our major play as, a, as young kids that I was an opera singer. So I would dress a nice dress and maybe some blankets around me. 
And yeah, so we are now both singers. And I love it. I love just, I think the voice is the, the primal instrument of everybody. Mm -hmm. So I can tell a lot with my voice. I'm also a flautist and uh, it's much easier for me to perform as a, as a singer. Where, where was the point where you f realized you could do it as a career? Well, we have also Slovenia is, has this very good state competitions. Mm -hmm. And I was always uh, winning first prizes on that. So that was a good, for me, a good sign. I could do it. And uh, it's just, you know, you, 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 you feel this call in you. You know that you, you can do that. Mm. It just, it, it comes from you. I think the decision of being a musician is something, it's your language, something you can touch people with. But was there any um, reason why you chose opera rather than another style like jazz? Or? At that time in Slovenia, it was almost everybody would study classical singing. Also, my sister, who is a jazz musician now, would first start with a classical singing. Okay. It's like starting with a ba ballet and then you go somewhere else. So we all, all started with that. And uh, I really feel very comfortable in classical music. It's, 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 my, it's my thing. As I told you, that because there are these music schools, there's a lot of orchestras you can be a soloist with. So every New Year or Christmas, you most certainly perform with one of them as a soloist. So yeah, people, people would have uh, music more often. So if there is a gallery opening or an exhibition opening, there's always a classical musician playing something or, or for the funerals or for the weddings or the church wedding you, you can it's a lot of things where music is involved mm -hmm. and you are hired for that for me i'm i must say i'm really really lucky as a musician to have a husband who has a who has a job otherwise it would be i can see my colleagues here as musicians and it's really hard to survive especially if you don't teach. Uh, it's, it's a struggle, it is. And also the, the, the amount of, of money you get for a gig is really low. It's much lower than, than in Europe, which amazes me that this being a country of where the salaries are much higher than in Slovenia, but the musicians are paid quite poorly. So it was a struggle. I was advertising myself and my teaching, and now I'm lucky enough that I'm working at, at St. Mary's College as a, as a tutor. But also, get, so there is no, if you, if, when he said, I was looking for a job on SEEK, there is not a single position for a music tutor advertised in Hobart. You have that in Sydney, Melbourne all the time. <laughs> Here you cannot apply for anything as a, as a tutor. You can be a music teacher in a classroom, yeah. which I am not. I'm just not, I'm doing something else. <laughs> if I would know I would, I would have such a huge struggle, struggle mm -hmm. here, I would probably say, let's go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, because it's three years of also mental work for me, just being a bit lost. <laughs> yeah. It's quite hard. I, I did imagine it will be very different for, for me. It took me three years now that I'm more comfortable with my, what I earn and bring back to the family. 
So I was just talking to Fred the other day that he said, I was so nervous performing in Slovenia because there everybody listens. Everybody's quiet, everybody's listening to you. And that's really true. So in Slovenia, nobody would talk, never. <laughs> just that's so, people would kick him, other people would kick, kick, kick that person out. It would, it would shush or please go out. <laughs> Here you can have different experiences. They can grab a, um, a glass of wine. They can grab a eat. glass of wine, have a talk with a friend. So it's, it's a different edge. Not everywhere, not everywhere. If the classical concert is organized, people would listen. Or in Slovenia, you could never, as we said, never bring it. You can never have a drink in any kind of uh, cultural institution. Mm-hmm. Here you can have an ice cream, a drink. So it's really, it's, that, that was something that was re- we were really amazed about. Mm. Uh, yeah, so just more casual, more relaxed, different. The people appreciate music in a different different way, I suppose. Obviously, things have changed since I was last at a concert. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember the... You don't remember that? Yeah. Yeah, so also with this Slovenian Tasmanian project, we did some festivals with... with we are called Lastuke, which is Swallows. And people really like... So Slovenian folk music is... It has beautiful lyrical melodies. It's not like a polk, it's not a lot of polkas or like that. And people would really here appreciate different kind of music. It's just the ears are different, so people yeah. would like different things. We as a Slavic people are a bit melancholic, a bit, oh, yes, suffering a bit. It's like <laughs> Russians, a bit suffering and then a bit happy. We had heaps of words, you have to remember that, that there were wars yeah. in the future. That's why most of the songs are about. About wars. Yeah. Yeah. Were you both still born still in the era of Yugoslavia? Yeah. So you experienced the last the, breath of Yugoslavia, yes. Yeah, because Slovenia was the first to, to break away. Yeah, in 91. 91. We just talked about this a few days ago when the war started. Uh, we still remember how we've been taking care of. Uh, changing water in our shelters every day and make sure that there's enough food in the shelter if something happens. Luckily, we only had 10 days of war. Some people died. Yeah, some people died. We were bombing the neighborhood town. Yeah. Yeah. So we still remember that. But before that, we had a nice childhood. And I, I think the majority of Yugoslavia had a nice childhood. But then the politics just something went really wrong and uh, Croatia and other states had a really long war and devastating war. We were fortunate enough just for 10 days. But it stays in your memory. Yeah, it does, yeah. 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 Our families, we were living in Germany because uh, during the Second World War, my, 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 fa- my father's family was not on the right side somehow, mm-hmm. not on the winning side. And so my father just need, he needed to move out of the country because he could, couldn't get a job. We, we couldn't survive as a family. So a lot of people would run away like this, like his uncle from Sydney. They would send money back just to, to help the families in Slovenia. This is a story of Slovenia. So they would build houses for the others back because they would earn much more in Germany or somewhere else. And also, 
maybe when we were talking about the challenges, challenges finding a house in Hobart to rent, that is that was really hard. Yeah. We already moved three times in three years. Yeah. And it was always the same challenge, really hard. If you don't know an agent or somebody who can help you, I don't know how people find houses. I'm really wondering how this happens. It's really, yeah. wish it wouldn't be that hard, but it is. Yeah. The only way we got a house was that somebody told us, go to this agent and I will recommend you and just go there and she will know who you are. And that's how it happened. Otherwise, okay. <laughs> I don't know. And we were very fortunate to meet her and that she was a person that she's not contacting you or talking, chatting to you via emails. She's the kind of person that really likes to sit with people and talk and go actually through things here. Yeah. Mm. What you are after and she said, I will take care of you, yeah. which yeah. was very calming. And she found us a place only for six months, the first one, but it was just what we needed. Was it easy to make social contacts and develop a social network here and how long did that process take? Well, we are coming from Slovenia. That's more a Mediterranean southern country of Europe. So the way we have the way we communicate is a bit different mm -hmm. than I would say to Australia. So it was quite hard for us to find some real friends, like friends you can count on. Uh, so, but now it's, it's getting better, better, I think. But for three years we were quite, it was, we were in a dark place about that. It was mm -hmm. quite hard for us. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, as we said, it's a small community. A lot of people would know each other from primary schools or, and that these are the groups they're in. And just coming into these groups is, it's really, it's, it's hard. And also because I think people are moving so much and changing houses and it's a different, so in Slovenia you usually don't move a house, you have a house, you own a house and you stay there forever. Yeah. Uh, the neighborhood, every neighbor would know you, would know your kids, would know your dog, everybody knows everybody. <laughs> they would bring fresh eggs, eggs or something. But here, we, we don't know much of a neighborhood here. They're all more or less strangers on our street. Yeah. So it's just a different culture, a different, different way of living. I remember in Austria and Italy, in families sort of stay in the same area and sometimes they will just build on to new levels on the house. Yeah, that's exactly Slovenia, yeah. the same thing. So we would live in a house with his parents. So the upper floor would be ours. And people are not moving far away, so they would basically stay in the same town or just, it's not a lot of move. So you, you would move with the parents here, that's what it is. We tried to stay away from parents, like living on our own, but our family grew bigger and bigger. And then we decided, okay, it's a big house. They'd like to give us a half of it, let's take it. It's a bit different, yeah, dynamics here between families are different from back home. So would you say in Slovenia that, that families are more, more connected generally? Or? I would say the families are more connected and... Uh, the whole communities. The whole community and older people would stay with the family for a longer time. Uh, they wouldn't, they would go to retirement homes but not, they would stay with, with the family. Yeah, the community knows kids from everybody so if your kid 
gets lost in our town and where we are from, somebody would bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's more, it's like a, if you've seen these Italian movies, the Slovenians are almost, almost the same. So uh, a huge table, very good food on a table, everybody talking. Yeah. It's a lot of that kind of gatherings. Also for me as a, as a guy inviting another friend to come over for uh, a beer or whatever. Back home it would be like you meet him on the, on the street somewhere in the shop, say let's, let's meet up for, let's catch up for a beer and he'd say yeah and he'd be at my place in let's say two hours. Mm -hmm. Here for me it was, uh, first question was what do you reckon in three weeks would that be okay for you? Was like, what just happened and in three weeks when that person arrived he had a beer with him and that for me was what happened yeah. <laughs> I don't get it it was it's really uh, connected at home so if you meet him and you talk with him that means I'm gonna see you soon and let's chat let's have a chat let's just talk let's have some man-to-man -man time here it's all has to be scheduled ahead for a few yeah, weeks. For a few weeks. And even if we invite friends, that will mean that we'll meet up in two or three weeks. So uh, that's again a bit different. But that's how it is. It's not that I'm saying our ways better. Yeah, we're anything. just comparing, it's, just comparing. Yeah. It's uh, how we learn to live here. Yeah. yeah. It's so you just don't go and knock on somebody's door and say, hi, do you have time for coffee? That would <laughs> happen in Slovenia. Or what was very interesting for us also to learn, that it depends when you are inviting people, what time of the day. Mm -hmm. So you can have a tea, you're, you're inviting somebody for tea, like that means tea and a cake or cheese platter and, and wine. So if I say to somebody, come please at four o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. they would expect something different than in, in Slovenia at that time. What would you expect at Slovenia at four o'clock? So in Slovenia, anytime you come, the, the table is usually, you, you get a lot of food. Now you would get food, some probably so some cold meat, cheese, yeah. bread. Uh, something to drink so or some cake mm -hmm. so it's a uh, we do give our love with food Slovenians yeah so it's like it's expected to feed people when they come any time of the day yeah yeah and of course you'd like to show off the salamis that you made <laughs> a few months ago and just trying to convince them that yours are actually the best ones they can <laughs> have so it's just because everyone's, uh, nearly everyone's making their own salamis and all prosciuttos or yeah. whatever sausages there are. Yeah, it, that, that's always in the fridge waiting for it to be cut or something baked, cookies or something like that. Mm. And when you ask somebody, how are you in Slovenia, you will get very personal answer. Mm -hmm. It's not just yeah, something, something, some phrase back, but they would really stop and tell you how yeah. they are. <laughs> okay. So it's wasting their time if you're not really interested. Yeah, we, we would normally answer to certain questions with, I don't like this, which is very normal back home. Here, like, you would have to say it, well, I'll give it a thought, but 
the first thing thing that comes to my mind would be uh, considering the other option that would be <laughs> like in a long version, which is just very consuming yeah, time extremely polite. with the same answer that we like. I don't like it. <laughs> Straight to the point. The way we think and speak is we translate it from our language still. Uh, we got better and faster over the time, but still we think in our mother tongue. So if someone asks me something, I just shoot it out because that's the way I know how to do it. It is not normally, I mean, if it's a positive reaction, that's great. We're all happy. But if it's negative, then this has to be a bit more conversation after my answer. So I go back sometimes and I say, have you, I've been rude with my answer. Is there a way that we can talk about this? Or in general, yeah, that's, that's the way I answer. So... <laughs> But, but do you find sometimes that you're not quite sure whether someone likes something or they yeah. haven't made it quite, that isn't quite clear? I would say um, if I'm talking with a customer, then I say, look, I'm coming from Europe where, where this will actually make them understand that the answer might be a bit different. If it's a co-worker, I, look, that's the way I talk. It's my way, and they understand me by now, over yeah. three years. They, they, they understand how I answer, how I act. But if it's a customer, because every day there's new customers, I have to say, I'm from Europe, so pardon my accent and all that. They understand quite a bit <laughs> when you say that. <laughs> Sad. There's nothing wrong.